Welcome to the tenth and final volume of The Scarecrow of Oz. Chapter 22, The Waterfall. Glinda's castle was a long way from the mountains, but the Scarecrow began the journey cheerfully. Since time was of no great importance in the land of Oz, and he had recently made the trip and knew the way, it never mattered much to Button Bright where he was or what he was doing. The boy was content in just being alive and having good companions to share his wanderings. As for Trot and Cap'n Bill, they now found themselves so comfortable and free from danger in this fine fairyland, and they were so awed and amazed by the adventures they were encountering, that the journey to Glinda's castle was more like a pleasant trip than any hardship. So many wonderful things were there to be seen. Button Bright had been in Oz before, but never in this part of it, so the Scarecrow was the only one who knew the paths and could lead them. They had eaten a hearty breakfast, which they found already prepared for them, and waiting on the table, when they arose from their refreshing sleep. So they left the magic house in a contented mood, and with hearts lighter and more happy than they had known for many a day. As they marched along the fields, the sun shone brightly, and the breeze was laden with delicious fragrance, for it carried with it the breath of millions of wildflowers. At noon, when they stopped to rest by the banks of a pretty river, Trot said with a long-drawn breath that was much like a sigh, I wish we'd brought with us some of the food that was left from our breakfast, for I'm getting hungry again. Scarcely had she spoken when a table arose up before them as if from the ground itself, and it was loaded with fruits and nuts and cakes and many other good things to eat. The little girl's eyes opened wide at this display of magic, and Captain Bill was not so sure that the things were actually there and fit to eat, until he had taken them in his hand and tasted them. But the scarecrow said with a laugh, Someone is looking after your welfare. That's certain. And from the looks of this table, I suspect my friend the wizard has taken us in his charge. I've known him to do things like this before. And if we're in the wizard's care, you need not worry about your future. Who's worried? inquired Button Bright, already at the table and busily eating. The scarecrow looked around the place while the others were feasting, and finding many things unfamiliar to him, he shook his head and remarked, I must have taken the wrong path, back in the last valley, maybe. For on my way to Jinxland, I remember that I passed around the foot of this river, where there was a great waterfall. Does the river make a bend after the waterfall? asked Captain Bill. No, the river disappeared. Only a pool of whirling water showed what had become of the river. But I suppose it's underground somewhere, and will come to the surface again in another part of the country. Well, suggested Trot as she finished her luncheon, as there's no way to cross this river, I suppose we'll have to find this waterfall and go around it. Exactly, replied the Scarecrow. So they soon renewed their journey, following the river for a long time, until the roar of the waterfall sounded in their ears. By and by they came to the waterfall itself, a sheet of silver dropping far, far down into a tiny lake which seemed to have no outlet. From the top of the fall, where they stood, the banks gradually sloped away so that the descent by land was quite easy, while the river could do nothing but glide over an edge of rock and tumble straight down to the depths below. You see, said the scarecrow, leaning over the brink, this is called by our Oz people 
the Great Waterfall, because it certainly is the highest one in all the land, but I think... Oh, help! He had lost his balance and pitched head foremost into the river. They saw a flash of straw and blue clothes, and the painted face looking upward in surprise. The next moment, the scarecrow was swept over the waterfall and plunged down into the basin below. The accident had happened so suddenly that for a moment they were all too horrified to speak or move. Quick! We must go help him, or he'll drown! Trot exclaimed. Even while speaking, she began to descend the bank to the pool below, and Cap'n Bill followed as swiftly as his wooden leg would allow him. Button Bright came more slowly, calling to the girl, He can't drown, Trot! He's a scarecrow! But she wasn't sure a scarecrow couldn't drown, and never relaxed her speed until she stood at the edge of the pool, with the spray dashing in her face. Captain Bill, puffing and panting, had just voice enough to ask as he reached her side, Do you see him, Trot? Not a speck of him. Oh, Captain, what do you suppose has become of him? I suppose, replied the sailor, that he's in that water, more or less, far down, and I'm afraid it'll make his straw pretty soggy. But as far as him being drowned, I agree with Button Bright that it can't be done. There was small comfort in the assurance, and Trot stood for some time, searching with her eyes the bubbling water, in the hope that the scarecrow would finally come to the surface. Presently, she heard Button Bright calling, Come here, Trot! And looking around, she saw that the boy had crept over the wet rocks to the edge of the waterfall, and seemed to be peering behind it. Making her way toward him, she asked, What do you see? A cave, he answered. So let's go in. Perhaps we'll find the scarecrow there. She was a little doubtful of that, but the cave interested her, and so did it Captain Bill. There was just space enough at the edge of the sheet of water for them to crowd in behind it, but after that dangerous entrance they found room enough to walk upright, and after a time they came to an opening in the wall of rock. Approaching this opening, they gazed within it and found a series of steps, cut so that they might easily descend into the cavern. Trot turned to look inquiringly at her companions. The falling water made such a din and roaring that her voice could not be heard. Captain Bill nodded his head, but before he could enter the cave, Button Bright was before him, clambering down the steps without a particle of fear. So the others followed the boy. The first steps were wet with spray and slippery, but the remainder were quite dry. A rosy light seemed to come from the interior of the cave, and this lit their way. After the steps, there was a short tunnel, high enough for them to walk erect in. And then they reached the cave itself and paused in wonder and admiration. They stood on the edge of a vast cavern, the walls and domed roof of which were lined with countless rubies, exquisitely cut and flashing sparkling rays from one another. This caused a radiant light that permitted the entire cavern to be distinctly seen, and the effect was so marvelous that Trot drew in her breath with a short gasp and stood quite still in wonder. But the walls and roof of the cavern were merely a setting for a more wonderful scene. In the center was a bubbling cauldron of water, for here the river rose again, splashing and dashing till its spray rose high in the air, where it took the ruby color of the jewels and seemed like a seething mass of flame. And while they gazed into the tumbling, tossing water, 
The body of the scarecrow suddenly rose in the center, struggling and kicking, and the next instant wholly disappeared from view. My, but he's wet, exclaimed Button Bright, but none of the others heard him. Trot and Captain Bill discovered that a broad ledge, covered like the walls with glittering rubies, ran all around the cavern, so they followed this gorgeous path to the rear and found where the water made its final dive underground before it disappeared entirely. Where it plunged into this dim abyss, the river was black and dreary-looking, and they stood gazing in awe until, just beside them, the body of the scarecrow again popped up from the water. Chapter 23. The Land of Oz The straw man's appearance on the water was so sudden that it startled Trot, but Captain Bill had the presence of mind to stick his wooden leg out over the water, and the scarecrow made a desperate clutch and grabbed the leg with both hands. He managed to hold on until Trot and Button Bright knelt down and seized his clothing, but the children would have been powerless to drag the soaked scarecrow ashore had not Captain Bill now assisted them. When they laid him on the ledge of rubies, he was the most useless-looking scarecrow you can imagine. His straw was sodden and dripping with water, his clothing wet and crumpled, while even the sack upon which his face was painted had become so wrinkled that the old jolly expression of their stuffed friend's features was entirely gone. But he could still speak, and when Trot bent down her ear, she heard him say, Get me out of here as soon as you can. That seemed a wise thing to do, so Captain Bill lifted his head and shoulders, and Trot and Button Bright each took a leg. Among them, they partly carried and partly dragged the damp scarecrow out of the ruby cavern, along the tunnel, and up the flight of rock steps. It was somewhat difficult to get him past the edge of the waterfall, but they succeeded after much effort. And after a few minutes, they laid their poor comrade on a grassy bank, where the sun shone upon him freely, and he was beyond the reach of the spray. Captain Bill now knelt down and examined the straw that the scarecrow was stuffed with. I don't believe it'll be of much use to him anymore, for it's full of pollywogs and fish eggs, and the water has took all the crinkle out of the straw and ruined it, I guess. Trot, the best thing for us to do is to empty out all his body and carry his head and clothes along the road till we come to a field or a house where we can get some fresh straw. Yes, Captain, she agreed. There's nothing else to be done. But how shall we ever find the road to Glinda's palace without the Scarecrow to guide us? That's easy, said the Scarecrow, speaking in a rather feeble but distinct voice. If Captain Bill will carry my head on his shoulders, eyes front, I can tell you which way to go. So they followed the plan and emptied all the old wet straw out of the Scarecrow's body. Then the sailor man wrung out the clothes and laid them in the sun till they were quite dry. Trot took charge of the head and pressed the wrinkles out of the face as it dried, so that after a while the scarecrow's expression became natural again and as jolly as before. This work consumed some time, but when it was completed they again started upon their journey. Button Bright carried the boots and hat, Trot the bundle of clothes, and Cap'n Bill the head. The Scarecrow, having regained his composure, and being now in a good humor, despite his recent mishaps, beguiled their way with stories of the Land of Oz. It was not until the next morning, however, that they found straw with which to restuff the Scarecrow. That evening they came to the same little house they had slept in before, only now it was magically transferred to a new place. 
The same beautiful supper as before was found smoking hot upon the table, and the same cozy beds were ready for them to sleep in. They rose early and after breakfast went out of the doors, and there, lying just beside the house, was a heap of clean, crisp straw. Ozma had noticed the scarecrow's accident in her magic picture and had notified the wizard to provide the straw, for she knew the adventurers were not likely to find straw in the country through which they were now traveling. They lost no time in stuffing the scarecrow anew, and he was greatly delighted at being able to walk around again and to assume the leadership of the little party. Really? said Trot. I think you're better than you were before, for you are fresh and sweet all through, and rustle beautifully when you move. Thank you, my dear, he replied gratefully. I always feel like a new man when I'm freshly stuffed. No one likes to get musty, you know, and even good straw may be spoiled by age. It was water that spoiled you the last time, remarked Button Bright, which proves that too much bathing is bad for you. But after all, Scarecrow, water is not as dangerous for you as fire. All things are good in moderation, declared the Scarecrow. But now let us hurry on, or we shall not reach Glinda's palace by nightfall. Chapter 24 The Royal Reception At about four o'clock of that same day, the red wagon drew up at the entrance to Glinda's palace, and Dorothy and Betsy jumped out. Ozma's red wagon was almost a chariot, being inlaid with rubies and pearls, and it was drawn by Ozma's favorite steed, the wooden sawhorse. Shall I unharness you? asked Dorothy. So you can come in and visit? No, replied the sawhorse. I'll just stand here and think. Take your time. Thinking doesn't seem to bore me at all. What will you think of? inquired Betsy. Of the acorn that grew the tree from which I was made. So they left the wooden animal and went in to see Glinda, who welcomed the little girls in her most cordial manner. I knew you were on your way, said the good sorceress when they were seated in her library, for I learned it from my record book that you intended to meet Trot and Button Bright on their arrival here. Is the strange little girl named Trot? asked Dorothy. Yes, and her companion, the old sailor, is named Cap'n Bill. I think we shall like them very much, for they are just the kind of people to enjoy and appreciate our fairyland and I do not see any way at present for them to return again to the outside world. Well, there's enough room for them here, I'm sure, said Dorothy. Betsy and I are already eager to welcome Trot. It'll keep us busy for a year at least, showing her all the wonderful things in Oz. Glinda smiled. I have lived here for many years, she said, and I have not seen all the wonders of Oz yet. Meantime, the travelers were drawing near to the palace, and when they first caught sight of its towers, Trot realized that it was far more grand and imposing than the king's castle in Jinxland. The nearer they came, the more beautiful the palace appeared, and when finally the scarecrow led them up the great marble steps, even Button Bright was filled with awe. I don't see any soldiers or guards here. There is no need to guard Glinda's palace, replied the scarecrow. We have no wicked people in Oz that we know of, and even if there were, Glinda's magic would be powerful enough to protect her. Button Bright was now standing on the top steps of the entrance, and he suddenly exclaimed, Why, there's the saw horse and the red wagon! Hip, hip, hooray! 
and the next moment he was rushing down to throw his arms around the neck of the wooden horse, which good-naturedly permitted his familiarity when it recognized in the boy an old friend. Button Bright's shout had been heard inside the palace, so now Dorothy and Betsy came running out to embrace their beloved friend, the Scarecrow, and to welcome Trot and Cap'n Bill to the Land of Oz. We've been watching you for a long time, and Ozma's magic picture, said Dorothy. And Ozma has sent us to invite you to her own palace in the Emerald City. I don't know if you realize how lucky you are to get that invitation, but you'll understand it better after you've seen the royal palace in the Emerald City. Glinda now appeared in person to lead all the party into her azure reception room. Trot was a little afraid of the stately sorceress, but gained courage by holding fast to the hands of Betsy and Dorothy. Captain Bill had no one to help him feel at ease, so the old sailor sat stiffly on the edge of his chair and said, Yes, ma'am, or No, ma'am, when spoken to, and was greatly embarrassed by so much splendor. The scarecrow had lived so much in palaces that he felt quite at home, and he chatted to Glinda and the Oz girls in a merry, light-hearted way. He told all about his adventures in Jinxland and at the great waterfall and on the journey hither, most of which his hearers knew already. And then he asked Dorothy and Betsy what had happened in the Emerald City since he had left there. They all passed the evening and the night at Glinda's palace, and the sorceress was so gracious to Captain Bill that the old man by degrees regained his self-possession and began to enjoy himself. Trot had already come to the conclusion that in Dorothy and Betsy she had found two delightful comrades, and Button Bright was just as much at home here as he was in the field of Jinxland, or when he was buried in the popcorn snow of the land of Mo. The next morning they arose bright and early, and after breakfast bade goodbye to the kind sorceress, whom Trot and Cap'n Bill thanked earnestly for sending the Scarecrow to Jinxland to rescue them. Then they all climbed into the red wagon. There was room for all of them in the broad seats, and when all had taken their places, Dorothy, Trot, and Betsy on the rear seat, and Cap'n Bill and Button Bright and the Scarecrow in the front, they called Giddy-Up to the sawhorse, and the wooden steed moved briskly away, pulling the red wagon with ease. It was now that the strangers began to perceive the real beauties of the Land of Oz, for they were passing through a more thickly settled part of the country, and the population grew more dense as they drew nearer to the Emerald City. Everyone they met had a cheery word or a smile, for the Scarecrow, Dorothy, and Betsy Bobbin, and some of them remembered Button Bright and welcomed him back to their country. It was a happy party indeed that journeyed in the Red Wagon to the Emerald City, and Trot already began to hope that Ozma would permit her and Cap'n Bill to live always in the land of Oz. When they reached the great city, they were more amazed than ever, both by the concourse of people in their quaint and picturesque costumes, and by the splendors of the city itself. But the magnificence of the royal palace quite took their breath away, until Ozma received them in her own pretty apartment, and by her charming manners and assuring smiles, made them feel they were no longer strangers. Trot was given a lovely little room next to that of Dorothy, while Cap'n Bill had the coziest sort of room next to Trot's and overlooking the gardens. And that evening Ozma gave a grand banquet and reception in honor of her new arrivals. While Trot had read of many of the people she then met, Cap'n Bill was less familiar with them, and many of the unusual characters introduced to him that evening caused the old sailor to open his eyes widely in astonishment. 
He had thought the live scarecrow about as curious as anyone could be, but now he met the tin woodsman, who was made of tin, even to his heart, and carried a gleaming axe over his shoulder wherever he went. Then there was Jack Pumpkinhead, whose head was a real pumpkin, with a face carved upon it, and Professor Wogglebug, who had the shape of an enormous bug, but was dressed in neat-fitting garments. The professor was an interesting talker and had very polite manners, but his face was so comical that it made Captain Bill smile to look upon it. A great friend of Dorothy's seemed to be a machine man called Tick-Tock, who ran down several times during the evening and had to be wound up again by someone before he could move or speak. At the reception appeared the Shaggy Man and his brother, both very popular in Oz, as well as Dorothy's Uncle Henry and Aunt Em, two happy old people who lived in a pretty cottage near the palace. But what perhaps seemed most surprising to both Trot and Captain Bill was the number of peculiar animals admitted into Ozma's parlors, where they not only conducted themselves quite properly, but were able to talk as well as anyone else. There was the cowardly lion, an immense beast with a beautiful mane, and the hungry tiger, who smiled continually, and Eureka, the pink kitten, who lay curled upon a cushion and had rather supercilious manners, and the wooden sawhorse, and nine tiny piglets that belonged to the wizard, and a mule named Hank, who belonged to Betsy Bobbin, a fuzzy little terrier dog named Toto, lay at Dorothy's feet but seldom took part in the conversation, although he listened to every word that was said. But the most wonderful of all to trot was a square beast with a winning smile that squatted in the corner of the room and wagged his square head at everyone in quite a jolly way. Betsy told Trot that this unique beast was called the Woozy, and there was no other like him in all the world. Cap'n Bill and Trot had both looked around expectantly for the Wizard of Oz, but the evening was far advanced before the famous little man entered the room. But he went up to the strangers at once and said, I know you, but you don't know me, so let's get acquainted. And they did get acquainted in a very short time, and before the evening was over, Trot felt that she knew every person and animal present at the reception, and they were all her good friends. Suddenly she looked around for Button Bright, but he was nowhere to be found. Dear me, cried Trot, he's lost again. Never mind, my dear, said Ozma with her charming smile. No one can go very far astray in the land of Oz. And if Button Bright isn't lost occasionally, then he isn't happy. The End This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. We hope that you've enjoyed this Uvula audio presentation of The Scarecrow of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Performance copyright 2007 by Uvula Audio. All rights reserved. The opening theme was obviously the classic Over the Rainbow, this version is performed by awesome jazz musician Chet Baker. And by the way, for you Chet Baker fans out there, Josh Hartnett is producing a Chet Baker biopic, which is supposed to be out next year. It's tentatively called The Prince of Cool. The Orc Trot portrayed here was not actually written by Jinxlanders, believe it or not. It is, in fact, a popular British melody from the turn of the century, last century, not this century, called Oopsa Daisy. The waltz music from Ozma's party at the end was written by Dewey DeLay. Most of the sound effects, and Dewey's music also, came from Sound Dogs, 
which can be found at www.sounddogs.com. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. And check out our new MySpace website to contact fellow listeners, myspace.com slash uvulaaudio. We're listed on Podcast Alley, as many of you probably know. Please feel free to vote for the Kids Cast so that we can get more listeners. We're already the number one children's podcast on Podcast Alley, and this is the first month that we moved into the top 50 podcasts. We were actually in the top 10 for about three hours, which is not too bad out of about 15,000, I guess. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. The links can be found on the main homepage of Uvula Audio, as well as on the kids' page. All proceeds go toward paying for bandwidth and bettering the technical quality of these casts. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are going to take a break from L. Frank Baum for at least one book since we do not want this venture to become known as the Baumcast. We will next be presenting Jack London's Call of the Wild, a book that falls a bit more into the young adult area with more adult themes. It's certainly different from any book that we've presented on this children's book cast yet, so I hope that it goes well. And don't worry, Baum lovers, we'll be doing the magical Monarch of Mo after Jack London. One last thing. With the resounding failure of the last contest, we are stupidly optimistic enough to want to try another. We are giving away an Uvula Audio t-shirt, again with your choice of logo, if you can answer the following question. What famous author and raconteur is playing kazoo on the closing theme song at the end of each volume of Scarecrow that we have presented over the last few weeks? Also, if you could tell us the name of the tune being played, we'll even throw in a second t-shirt. How's that for a bargain? Please email us at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com with your guesses. We will continue to take guesses until the premiere of our next book cast in a few weeks, or until somebody tries to get the right answer. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you. <laughs>